As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Welcome to Form the Rookery, a podcast about a life following a Watford Football Club, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John. With me this evening is Michael. Oh, good evening, John. Uh, good evening. Uh, Watford have just drawn nil-nil away at uh, the Den uh, against Millwall. Uh, and we are also joined this evening by Miss Kelly Sommers. Good evening, Kelly. Hello, this is nice to be back. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Well, you're, the, you're a busy girl. You're on television all the time <laughs> and it's hard to get hold of you sometimes. But uh, yeah, fantastic having you uh, uh, on the podcast. And we, you know, well, let's have a chat about uh, a Watford nil-nil away draw. These are often the difficult games to talk about. A draw, or Norway says, there's nothing great, but there's nothing terrible either. But we saw a, a line-up, Kelly, that mm. we saw on, the, on Friday and it didn't quite look balanced and beautiful on Friday. Did it look any better for you with this Chalabar Hughes cleverly midfield and Dini Saar and well today was grey up front. Let's not talk anymore about Andre Gray starting up front. I just desperately <laughs> want him to score so we can stop talking about it. So let's leave him out of the equation. Um let's also leave Dini out of the equation in that because for me, particularly in that second half against Stoke he earned his place in that team and his new role playing a little bit deeper, I think is the one that suits him. When I saw the lineup, I thought, the first thing, yes, I thought, interesting that Pedro isn't playing. I thought, okay, I'm a bit confused because I feel like it didn't really work first half against Stoke, so why why are we trying it again? And I was a little bit confused as to how it was going to look. We actually spoke before the podcast, didn't we, saying, was it a 4-4-2? Was it a 4-3-3? I think we all were in agreement that it probably was a 4-4-2 with Saar getting forward a little bit more. I liked that all of our best players, I think, were playing, but... It still doesn't look balanced to me or cohesive. That said, it was a far better first half performance. One of the best first half performances from the Watford side I think we've seen in a little while. So there was positives in that way. But I still think that um, Munoz is trying to find the balance of this team where to put his best players in that side for me. It won't. It won't do either. It won't surprise either of you to uh, know that I'm not going to do what I'm told or asked. And I think let's. I do want to mention Andre Greggs. I do. My thinking about getting him in, in the side is that if we're going to carry on this good form, if we're going to be in the promotion shake-up, we need our strikers to score goals. 
and the 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 obvious situation with Andre Gray is he's got the strikers uh, version of the yips, hasn't he? He's just having an absolute mm. torrid time of it. No, and, you know, it's got to be more than yip. What's bigger than a yip? What's bigger than a yip? Because it's been going on for too long. <laughs> a yap. He's got the yaps. He's got yeah. He and you know he is devoid of of any confidence with the ball at his feet. But the reality is, if if Watford are going to have a successful season, we probably need him to. We probably need him to come good. And and I think as Watford supporters, we need to try and rally behind him a little bit. I'm put in mind of when Leicester. This is one. This is one for the uh, older listeners. But I'm put in mind of when Leicester signed. It was Adi Akinbayi, and they paid quite a lot of money for him. And he he had a similar run. He just couldn't score. He, he I don't think he played in the Premier League at that stage, and he just couldn't score. Uh, and then eventually, after a run of a huge barren spell, he scored. And like you could hear, you could almost hear everyone up and down the country cheering. I, you know, I was pleased. I'm not even a Leicester supporter. And it's kind of getting to that stage for for Andre Gray, isn't it? It's just I, I now feel, you know, I've been very, very critical about him for for a number of reasons previously, and I now feel bad for him, don't you? Watching it, it's actually a hard watch. Mike, he's still playing well, isn't he? He's not playing badly. His general play is okay. He's making the runs. That's what's yeah. So frustrating. And what sort of thought when you saw him in the starting lineup tonight? Do you understand Munoz carrying on playing him? Well, I think it's that. I think they're trying to play him into form. And I think there's the other element is 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 Jao Pedro is obviously they want to protect him to a degree. He had an injury not so long ago, didn't he? So I wonder whether they're that's playing on their mind. You know, we are an incredible run of games, aren't we? They're coming thick and fast. It's almost sort of unbelievable. We flick the game on. It's another one to to watch. So. I think they will have an eye on on managing fitness, but I, I I think they're trying to play him into some sort of form because until he scores, it's going to be it just with each passing minute almost it's getting it's getting more difficult, isn't it? That millstone around his neck is getting heavier, and like you say, Kelly, he he. He doesn't. What you have to say in his his defence, he might be better in defence actually. But what what you have to say in to to, be, to give him credit, he doesn't go missing. And you know he's still making those runs, and you know he can he causes mischief. He's 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 quicker than probably people think. He has got a little a bit of skill once he gets the ball under control. He can beat a man. He can he can see off defenders. So it's just now at the stage where I think it's just desperate for for him to score. I mean, no one will be more desperate than him. No one will be more desperate than his teammates. And I think as as a, as, a, as supporters, we need to to get behind him now because it's just at that stage where it's just it's difficult to watch. But I think they're trying to play him into form. Um, protect Pedro a little bit, but I did wonder whether, uh, on the back of such a, a decent second half on um, on Saturday, on Friday night, whether they just roll into that, and if they do need to protect Pedro, they they switch them out after that, perhaps, and maybe it was just a, a, a nod to say, look, Andre, I, I think you can still go out and do a job. Um, we've got we've got confidence in you, given given that starting role. That says something, doesn't it? And and when we spoke to Adam about Munoz um, before, just just after he was hired, one of the things that that Adam picked up in his research and speaking to people that know know him well is that he 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 works hard to understand what what makes players tick. He's sort of he's he's quite into the the psychological side of things and and understanding who the players are, not just how they act on a football pitch, but what makes them tick off it as well. So you have to believe that he's he's working on that as well. So Does Andre yeah. Gray like snowball fights? Do you think that's what he was thinking this week? There was all these photos emerged from the training ground. Well, I'll put it this way. You're not going to be too worried if Andre's taken aim with a snowball at you, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but look, I'm just desperate for him to score. But what about the things? Would he be, though, if Semmer was fit and playing, he would... You know, you would say because it was so unbalanced up front, he would be out on the left. 
it was balanced on that that left hand side of midfield, that left hand side attacking threat, if you like. That's where it was unbalanced, wasn't it? There was no Semmer, no Zinkenagel, and we had Hughes instead. Which I think there's there's questions there, isn't it? You know, we we haven't heard anything as to as to where Ken Semmer is. Yeah, that's the big question mark for me because I think I think Messina misses him as well, and I just mm. think mm. I think although he's never quite find, found a really early season form. He's still been so influential, I think, just his driving runs forward. And I think I think the whole team looks a bit... I didn't realise how much we'd miss him until we don't have him, really. You mentioned partnerships there, Kelly. Miss, uh, Messina missing him. I do. I always like that idea of a player going, oh, my friend's not up front oh, with Ken. me. Oh, where is he? <laughs> um, who, who do you think, go, Kelly, what is the best partnership? It doesn't have to be, like, up front. What, what is it in, in the Watford team at the moment, what do you think is the, is the most crucial, the best partnership we've got? It seems a bit weird to say it because we're in mid or end of January now but I think because of the hectic nature of the uh, championship season for Watford so far there's still a lot of partnerships that are still building and still being built because there's been so much change around the club as per usual but I think for me the partnership that I enjoy the most is probably the centre-back pairing now of Truce de Kong and Sirialta just because we've not really had a really solid centre-back pairing for so long at Watford and I watched those two sometimes I think that's almost I mean we don't know if they'd make it in the Premier League but that's almost the centre-back pairing that we've been craving for all those years in the Premier League it feels like we fixed something that should have been fixed three or four years ago and I just think look at the lack of goals that well you know a few goals that we're conceding now that's that's given us a solid basis and on nights like tonight a couple of months ago we would have conceded they kind of from the back they are solid and it kind of rubs off on the rest of the teams a bit more confidence for the rest of the team that they can attack so I'm really enjoying watching their partnership it's so new I think it can only get better Michael who about you my favourite um, partnership is this just well, it's a clear winner and that's um, Shishko Munoz and his and his wardrobe <laughs> every, every we time had money he's on... tonight yeah, every time he wears something different. So I think he was suited and booted on on Friday. Before that, he was sort of smart casual. Tonight, jeans. Yeah, jeans. And were they? I think he had. But uh, did he have Balenciagas on? Kelly, you'll know better than me, trainers wise. I don't even know if that's <laughs> I don't know how, how much you pronounce it. You think I get for being on team, Michael? But it's not the kind of trainers I own. <laughs> um, but so, but all all joking aside, I think we haven't seen it as much recently. But it was one of the rare flickers of of joy if you like in the in the early part of the season and that was Kiko and Saar link up they look like they have a have a good understanding and they look like one of the the sort of few partnerships that look um likely to un, unlock a defense so I'd like to see a bit more of that that Kiko had a good game again tonight I mean he's he's you know remains head and shoulders ahead of everyone I would have said in terms of the race for for player of the season he just the way he gets forward his of limitless energy isn't it from him he's he's up and down up and down up and down he's been terrific and and perhaps more recently and uh, perhaps a little bit stung by uh, listening back to our podcast on Friday when uh, people were a little bit dismissive of Troy Deeney at half time saying that he should should have been taken off only to turn in a match winning performance in the second half i think Troy Deeney seems to have found his role um yeah, and he looked bigger tonight he looked more important he looked more threatening he looked more of an integral part of the team tonight much like he did on on Friday against Stoke and I think anyone playing up 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 with Troy could benefit from from that so hopefully um Troy plus a another will prove to be the uh the partnership uh that uh that excites us most for the rest of the season because quite frankly it's going to have to isn't it we've been quite upbeat Bearing in mind we've drawn nil nil away against a struggling Millwall, They've, you know their their home form is absolutely dreadful. I suppose on the plus side, most people would have looked at it and thought, well, 
people always look to Watford to, to end their terrible runs of form, don't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. So the fact that we haven't lost, I suppose, is is something. But we still haven't cracked that that goal scoring problem, have we? It's still it, it's still a, an issue. But I think that the one thing that the reason I'm feeling positive this evening, as much as you can about a nil nil, is that Troy looks like he might be able to sort of bring his teammates in in that in that final third a little bit more. And uh, so I'm hopeful that'll be a partnership. Him plus one of his mates uh, for the final, whatever it is, second half of the season, that uh, that could shine. Mike, I, like you, we've been fortunate enough to kind of come across Troy through work, through Watford over the years. We both we both love him, I think it's mm. best to say, as mm. most Watford fans do. And I know you and I particularly get not a little bit infuriated when we see some of the, I think, unfair criticism that Troy mm. gets when Watford lose. But in the last few games, and this is me, I promise I'm taking off my Troy tinted glasses here and saying <laughs> it, he has stepped up, he's found his place in the team, and I think he's comfortable with the player he is. I think he's used his brain, he's used his experience to realise what he needs to do for this Watford team. And I think that could be invaluable for the rest of the season. People can throw at me all the stats they like about the goals from open play. He wants to score more goals from open play, don't get me wrong. But it's not, I almost feel like that isn't his primary role. Of course, it is. he's a striker, but he knows that role you just said there. And I don't think he gets enough credit for it. And yes, I'm a Troy fan, but I think every Watford fan should be a Troy fan right now because what he's doing for the team off the ball as well. Even like on Friday against Stoke, the way he saw out the game for us, he was orchestrating all of that. Um, and tonight I thought he did everything he could try and make things happen as we've established. And I still talk about Andre, but unfortunately Andre didn't put the ball in the back of the net. So that's the reason we didn't score, not just because of Troy Deeney. Deeney definitely was bringing you know, his partnership with, with Ismail Assar was def- is, is developing. But today they were two... I'm just more confident because I scored a goal on Friday night. And that was, I think, the, the most positive. And it, it definitely shone through towards the end of the first half. And it shone through also, I think, you know, we definitely were becoming more in control of the of both the end of both halves. Yeah, mm-hmm. although, you know, that said, I think that Saab, I think it was it towards the end of the first half, he had a, an opportunity whether it, when he was through. And, you know, when he was so so clinical and confident on Friday night, taking that first-time shot against Stoke, they ended up in the back of the net. I think he had the opportunity on the angle again to perhaps unload, and he took an extra an extra touch, and that was snuffed out. And so I think that's what we need to be aware of is that it's still while we won three games in a row, and we know we were at pains to point out on the podcast that this, you know, the first spring, the first what is it? One swallow or three swallows doesn't make spring or whatever it is. <laughs> we're, we're nowhere near the finished article, and I think that. That showed again tonight. You know they're slightly lacking in, in in confidence, and we weren't clinical in front of goal. And I think the question that you asked, John, um, about what's the best partnership, and Kelly's absolutely right to mention the centre back pairing. That's been you know a real real joy to behold. And I've sort of you know we've talked about Kiko and Saar, which has been okay. It was a really good to start with. It hasn't, but it hasn't been a week in week out affair. And then I've I've looked to the future for one of hope. So I think the fact that we haven't really got one loads of partnerships to talk about and discuss shows where we are at this stage of the season and still are despite a good run of results that it's by no means clicked 100% into place has it and this team is going to have to work work very very hard to to make this a successful season i think we we lost games under 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 vladimirovic i think under under underovic we would have lost that game tonight i think you know millwall came roaring into it didn't they for the first, last couple of minutes of the of the first half and you know they they were they were a better better side in the second half as well Watford bossed the first half but I think under Ivic where we looked so tepid and timid we probably 
may well have lost that game 1-0. And it didn't really feel like they were going to lose it tonight. That, that togetherness is still there, but there's still, there is still a, a, a hungover, hang, hangover from the, the Ivich sort of era, if you can even call it that. It feels, still feels like we're a bit fuggy-headed, do you know what I mean? It still feels like we're waking up a little bit. headed <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's sort of wearing slippers. Mm. It's sort of like everything's a bit sort of... We just need to snap out of that. And it would have been a great opportunity to do that tonight. But I think... You know we're we're obviously not there, and uh, we weren't able to put a uh, put a Paul Millwall to the sword. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Of course, we couldn't be at the game, an away game. Um, no fans going to any game. Uh, but of course, Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, uh, was at the game. <laughs> So, Adam, I mean, there's a thing about you know, going to Millwall away. It's never a, no- a lovely place to go to. This could have been the opportunity where you were going to play Millwall away and th- there wasn't going to be the Millwall fans there. What was it like in the stadium? Because the little bit we hear in the background on the feed, it, it didn't seem beautiful. No, it was far from beautiful. It really is coming to, to Millwall. I think it's it's worth sort of highlighting, you know, I mean, I'm a lucky, lucky fellow to be inside the inside the stadium because it gives you a sort of a context that you don't get when you're watching it at home and you know when we arrived in the stadium it's weird with the with the den it's almost like they need to turn the the color up in the stadium if you're <laughs> yeah. watching on telly. When, you're, when you're there it's just it's almost all very bleak the you know obviously the, the ground got hammering with rain before before kickoff it was very muddy it was sticky on the on the um on the wings it, it, it was you know a complete contrast to um to vicarage road and you know stoke gets a bad rep for you know can they do it on a tuesday night in stoke and all that but you know they had a had a pretty decent surface there but the surface here at the den was pretty low end and i think that that always just sort of you always wonder it reminds me of um when watford went to burnley under Marco Silva quite early and just looked like they didn't fancy it. They had their white kits on and they just didn't look like they were going to, they actually wanted to get muddy. Well, tonight, you know, they, from the very start, they were, they were on it. They were organised, they were disciplined, they were loud, they were rattling into challenges. So they were up for the challenge. And I thought that it was, it was, it was impressive in terms of a step forward from the first half against Stoke. 
when they looked disjointed. I think in the second half, they got maybe a little bit more disjointed, but they weren't really troubled by, by Millwall. So I think overall, you know, being in the stadium, listening to what they were doing, listening to Cisco, you know, driving them on all the way, I think that they can be relatively pleased with with coming away from here with a with a nil-nil draw. Look, if, if one had gone the other way, you know, if Dini's overhead had gone to plan or Shalabar or, you know, or Gray's one in the first half, it could have been a one-nil win. It could have been a two-nil win. But, you know, it was a difficult night and it was a sort of a, a character building night, I think, this one. And they can build on this. So there'll be there'll be a little bit of disappointment that they weren't quite as cohesive in the final third as per usual. But but I think they can take take quite a lot of heart from that performance. And did you sort of feel that from uh, from Cisco in the post-match press? I know you didn't go to the press conference. You would have seen it virtually. Um, how, how was he like after that? Did, did, he, did he reflect that sort of uh, similar to you? I'll be completely honest. I was thinking, you know what? It's really cold up here. and I've been in a lot of cold press boxes. You know what? I'm going to just go and sit in my car, get the Bluetooth on, get the, uh, get the sort of the personal hotspot going and get myself warming back up again. So um, I did the press conference in my car, which is a great, you know, that's an advantage, I suppose, in these sort of current climbs. He's a very positive character, as we know. And he was very happy with, with the performance. And I know that some people might roll their eyes and say, well, you know, how can he be happy when we weren't quite as sharp as we should have been? But I think, he, I think he's, he's right to be pleased that they can come to a place like this and be dominant, dictate the tempo for the majority of the time, not look particularly troubled at the back at all. I think Sierra Alta and, and William Truster Kong have been very, very solid as a partnership. I think the two fullbacks. I'd like to see Adam Messina push on a little bit but we spoke to Adam Messina the other day and he was saying that you know yes I'm back in the team it's great to be back in the team and I can you know I can add leadership qualities and all that sort of stuff but he's already said yeah I'm back but I'm not really back back (laughs) it's like you know um Mm. what's your what's your man called uh the the comedian you know going out out he's not quite (laughs) back he's not quite back back yet and um I think once he's starting or, or willing to sort of you know, play the ball into I don't know, say Will Hughes who's tucked in, and then kick on with a with a run down the down the left hand side, a bit of an overlap. Then hopefully that will come in the next few weeks. He gets his sort of his his football legs back a little bit more. He was he was the victim of a uh, of a slightly dodgy yellow card as well, of course, quite early on. I thought I don't know. I just wonder whether that might have uh, played into played into his sort of perhaps a reluctance to to bomb on quite as much. Didn't want to be out of position and and tracking back on a, on a yellow. Yeah, and I think a couple of, you know, to be fair, I was, I was surprised at half-time that they didn't actually think, you know what, a, a few of the boys have picked up yellow cards. Mm. We might make a change because, you know, the tackles are going to be rattling in. There's a few spicy challenges. But to be honest, you know, I remember the, you know, that game in the FA Cup when they got knocked out and it was a bit of a whimper under Matsari, I think it was. They didn't compete and they got sort of bullied. They didn't get bullied tonight. And I think that that's a, a positive thing. And I, and I asked Cisco after the game, you know, I didn't want to put words in his mouth. This is what I felt it was. But I, I said, you know, was that a, a performance with character? And he agreed with that. Just felt that, yeah, OK, things weren't quite right. He, he admitted that. But, yes, we, we, we move on. And, you know, also looking at his record, he's only been beaten once. So what is that? Four, four wins now, a, a draw and a, and a defeat in your opening six matches. And, look, I think, you know, fair enough. They're in the promotion places. Yes, Swansea have got two games in hand, but... It's a bit of sort of scoreboard pressure and they've come here and they're, 
they're getting out with a with a point. So, you know, I think fair enough. Oh, and one other thing which you may, you may be interested in, and I did ask Munoz about uh, Ken Semmer because I after after the game against Stoke, I said, look, you know, where was he? He said he was rested. Everyone, every, everyone was expecting that he would be back this evening, but he did say he sort of intimated that he might have just picked up a little bit of a problem, but he doesn't think it's too serious. And just going back to the original team selection, I know people would have gone, hang on a minute, he's doing exactly the same thing as he did at Stoke and he's playing, you know, Hughes out on the left-hand side. But tonight was the night to do that. Get your experienced bodies in. And I think, you know, in terms of team selection, I can't really complain too much because when Zinconagel came on, Although he did add a little bit of sort of dynamism in the final third, this wasn't the night for keeping the ball on the floor. It was about moving it quickly, getting it in the mixer and picking up second balls. And I don't necessarily think this early into his Watford career, asking him from the start to sort of be running up and down and getting those very lovely pink boots that he's got too muddy is uh, is the way to be going especially when you're playing here at here at Millwall no you can't call him lovely pink boots pink boots are terrible Adam it's Adam has seen his black boots they're the best boots and they're the best boots and his tucked in shirt I will keep on about it black boots tucked in shirt great stuff um you had a you had a great piece today uh again the classic athletic deep analysis Troy Deeney's penalties you had a, a good look at how, all his penalties ever. How far, how far can you go back and find all these penalties of Troy Deeney? <laughs> I, I went back. There wasn't, there's only been penalties at Watford. He's um, taken 42 penalties and he scored 36 of them. And I watched all 42 of them. <laughs> and it was very, really interesting to sort of, you know, I've got, I've got nothing better to do, to go back and to see how he sort of evolved as well. Because, you know, there's a lot of attention now on, the way that he takes penalties takes what I counted the steps as well. You know, he takes seven steps back, that slightly arced movement out to the to the left hand side, and then as we know, you know, he, he runs to the ball as quickly as he can and belts it as hard as he can. But in the original period of time when he was taking penalties, there was a, a bit more craft to it. All of them, obviously, with his right foot. But the majority of them in the early days were, you know, placed finishes to the left, to the right, to the top. And bottom corners but then he sort of seemed to develop in the pressure moments that that blast of a penalty and obviously we saw it to great success in in games like you know against Crystal Palace against Manchester United at home obviously against Wolves as well and then in recent times all of the penalties that he's taken this season five out of the six goals that he's scored have all been blasts but it was interesting sort of analysing where he was putting those penalties, even though they just seemed to be the same penalty. Because the, the one against uh, Brentford, for example, against David Raya, there's a little moment just before it. I'm sure people saw it at the time, but it was really interesting sort of going back through them, that Raya sort of steps to his right-hand side, leaves a little space to his left, and then moves back into it, almost to say, go on then, put it there. And Didi went, yeah, I will, and absolutely belted <laughs> it. And sort of calling the keeper's bluff, and I looked at the penalty that um, he took at the Emirates last season, the last Premier League penalty that he, he took. Emi Martinez did a very similar thing uh, with his left hand. He just sort of pointed before the penalty and he just went, yeah, go on, stick it there. It was interesting to see how he's developed and, then, and also how he reacts as well when he, when he misses a penalty. Um, and he said some things recently in, in you know, interviews with club and on talk sport as well. And I just sort of pieced together all the stuff that he said just to try and sort of illustrate what it's like in his mind and how he approaches penalties. So I hope people um, enjoy it because, you know, he gets a bad rap for, 
you know, only scoring penalties from people who are saying he's not scoring enough open play goals. And I'm sure he admits it himself. He would like to be scoring far more. But, you know, in those pressure moments, it is great to have someone like that who has great confidence, but is also not going to be sort of timid afterwards. If he, if he misses a penalty, he will want to step back up again. And Watford are getting a lot of penalties. They've had seven this season, which is the most in the championship. So, you know, it's not necessarily that he only scores penalties. He does take the opportunities that are being presented by us winning penalties as well. You know, trips on Saar or trips on João Pedro or, or whoever it is, or, you know, handballs, whatever it is. So, you know, I, I hope people enjoy reading it. And um, I enjoyed putting it together. It, it filled the day. So it was good. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you want to read that article or any of the work that Adam's doing for The Athletic, you need to go to, you need to go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. We always speak, have a chat to you, Adam, about the the uh, transfer window, and it's been comparatively quiet, as we anticipated uh, at this time in all these uh, situations we're in. But Watford did have brought in a goalkeeper, which shows to me a little bit about how long Ben Foster's going to be out. Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, you know, first and foremost, for people who haven't heard, um, Rob Elliott... Um, the former Newcastle keeper started his career at, at Charlton. He's being brought in as backup for Daniel Backman whilst Ben Foster is injured. And, and Foster himself, you know, his, his cycling GK videos are, are slightly sort of um, shorter than they are normally because we haven't got all the match action. But he did, you know, the other day speak about initially, you know, that he was going to be out for a few weeks. He then did a follow up one. Um, the other day, which was interesting, sort of seeing him behind the scenes and having, you know, his, his fingers massaged and things like that. So, you know, he's doing his rehab, but it just seems as if he's just having a period of, of rest. So they don't want to get into a situation. And a lot of people have referenced this on, on social media. They don't want to get into a situation where Daniel Batman goes down, you know, in the warm up or during a game. And, you know, Adam Parks has to come in. He's highly regarded, young, you know, under 23 keeper, but he's yet to play men's football on a consistent uh, basis. And, you know, they, they want to make sure that they've got experience backup. So I think it's a sensible thing to do. Um, Rob Elliott's been out of contract since last year when he left Newcastle. He's had a little bit of a sort of a turbulent time. He had appendicitis. Um, and obviously with the, the COVID times as well, you know, that meant that the, the operation was slightly delayed. But then he got back. He, he was training with Gateshead and then he went back and actually trained with Charlton. And he was picked up sort of over the weekend. They've managed to sort out the, um, you know, the deal over the weekend. And it was a bit too soon to be on the bench tonight at, at Millwall. But, you know, potentially he'll be on the bench as, as experience back up against QPR. And, and also, you know, an interesting thing that, you know, he's been in a, in a dressing room that has been relegated from the Premier League and bounced straight back as well. So it's good to have another experienced head in there. And in terms of, you know, looking a little bit further forward, depending on what happens when they come to the end of this season, I think that there's going to, be ha- there's going to have to be a lot of sort of cloth cutting either way. If they get promoted, obviously that will be softened. Uh, if they don't, then they're going to have to start looking at the budget even more. Um, so, you know, having a, an experienced body in there, he's 34 now. Ben Foster's going to be 38. If Daniel Backman has, has made himself number one, you start to look at your sort of the, the goalkeeping department. Pontus Dahlberg might be able to come in. It, it, it just gives you another option, I, I suppose. So um, I, I don't know if he can play up front. I don't, know if he can, I don't know if he can score goals, but it's not necessarily the one that everyone's going to be sort of purring about. But I think it's actually quite a savvy a savvy addition to the squad. But, you know, there are still 
what six or seven days left of the of the transfer window. Minus one, remember, because Watford play on on deadline day against QPR, so everything's going to be sort of nudged back a day. And if they get to the point where they leave for the hotel, you know, they will go right. Ishmael Star, you're coming in. You're staying in room 104, and you're staying there. And we're going to lock <laughs> you in there. There's not going to be any late bids. So you know, once they've committed almost to that to the squad against QPR on the day before, on the 31st on Sunday, then, you know, we, we should be home and dry with Ishmael Assar staying at the club. And then we can really kick on and enjoy the rest of the season, hopefully. Mike, um, Adam mentioned, uh, of course, like the, the goalkeeping when they're goalkeeping problems. And I think you can tell the age of a Watford fan by your first thought when you say that game where Watford had a goalkeeper problem. What game comes to mind for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was the first away game I ever went to as a as a Watford supporter, and it was the FA Cup semi final at Villa Park. Oh yes, uh, where Watford lost four goals to one, uh, and um, yeah, what a sorry tale that was. Tony Cope was out injured, then Steve Sherwood was injured as well, and it, yeah, it turned out that they they asked Pat Jennings to to step in, and they couldn't. So yeah, and we all know how that game uh, game ended. So yeah, it's nice to be a little bit more settled isn't it in the goalkeeper department because that was a um that was a disastrous day and one that has haunted me ever since that first game away from uh, vicarage road as a kid you can uh, you can imagine how i felt not great yeah the wine the wine uh, waiter in goal for watford it wasn't amazing uh, of course the other one if you're if you're slightly young of course the game is the the Leeds united uh, game on the last game of the season in 2013 i was just going to say a little update on that one you know i did that piece about jonathan bond yeah, uh, he he has now got the sort of the start date of his time in the MLS. So, you know, that's a that's a, a sort of a positive step for him. He knows when he's going to be heading over there and uh, he's going to be starting his time at LA Galaxy. And obviously he was the the goalkeeper in the in the middle of all of that. It, it was a Pozzo experience that. So they will be going, we don't want to get into a situation like that again. So fair play to them for actually covering their tracks, I think. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. As you know, we have been massive supporters of prostate cancer uh, from the Rookery End for, for quite a while. Mike's dad uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years ago, uh, and he's doing great. He's uh, still doing his checkups, but everything's going fantastic for him. And, and you probably remember the big walk that we did from St Albans to Watford to Barnet onto Wembley Stadium uh, a few Julys ago. Uh, and the Athletic are doing something to support Prostate Cancer UK. And they are putting on 31 football quizzes across February and March to find out who is the most knowledgeable subscriber. And of course, help raise money for a very important cause. If you're aware, Prostate Cancer UK help fund life-saving research and provide valuable support and information for men and their partners affected or worried about prostate cancer. It'll be a night of a great quiz night, but also your chance to make donations to such an important cause. The Watford Quiz Night is going to be hosted by the Athletics Watford correspondent Adam Leventhal on Monday the 8th of March, and you'll be able to team up with anybody in your household to play. Or maybe you can do some fancy with technology to, to get a team together. If you are the winner of the Watford Quiz, you go you get to go to the grand final at the end of March where there's a chance of you taking home £1,000. Of course, The Athletic will be making a donation to Prostate Cancer UK as well. To take part, you have to be a subscriber. It's all going to happen on Zoom. If you aren't a subscriber, go to theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. Mike, it was a cold night 
at Stoke on Friday, and we, we, we got through that test. And at the weekend, it then snowed. It was brilliant because uh, Geordie made a snowman with his little lad, James. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Fran, Francis Snow Sierra Alta. Uh, I think I saw someone else with uh, Nathaniel Chill a bar. Uh, but it, it certainly starts uh, reminding you of, of very cold, cold games of football. Now, Kelly, you, 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 you are at many games with your, you know, the work you're doing or match the day or, uh, or for final score. Uh, and you, you got quite into different things that can keep you warm, haven't you? <laughs> yes, I'm like an Amazon advert really for um, heat-related <laughs> products. The main things that I find benefit me are, and also Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Clang me dropping the name there. He uses the same hand warmers as me. Just before I went to interview him on Sunday, you can get these little heat activated hand warmers where you um, you literally take them out of the packet and then when they're kind of mixed with the air, I guess it makes them hot and they're little tea bags. I always have those in my pockets. I you can get the pads that stick to like your tummy. I put the hand warmers down like often wear a turtleneck. I put them down my neck so they go keep my neck warm. Also got ones that can go on your feet, like um, you are very warm at football matches. I I think that's yeah. cheating a little bit. I don't know why I feel that's cheating <laughs> in somewhat, but then I do wear about three pairs of socks sometimes. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but Mark, you you put this out on Twitter at uh, Watford Podcast. Uh, if you're not following us already, there are some absolute classic Watford games that were absolutely arctic. Yeah, I mean, one that sticks out to me personally is obviously that. Barnsley story that we we spoke about a couple of uh, a couple of times on the podcast when I bunked off school back in '95 I think it was and and disappeared off to Barnsley to watch Watford win one 0 I only had my school shirt on literally just a white school shirt so that was freezing but that was that was down to my own badly um, dressed yeah yeah stupidity basically <laughs> um, so that served me right but the one that really sticks in my mind. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like literally frozen into my mind. Um, was it was Torquay in the Auto Windscreens Shield, and I think it was in 1997. It was unbelievable. Only the main stand was open, and there was snow flurries. It was just you. Could, the, the words don't exist to describe how cold it was. You could see you could see the pitch freezing in front of your eyes. You could see sort of ice developing just in front of your eyes. It was like something out of out of frozen you know when uh what's the name the princess then she touches stuff and it all turns to ice it was it was exactly like that and it was painful it was absolutely shockingly cold and but what i loved about it was that we pop, popped it out on twitter uh and loads of people came back saying yeah yeah i was there i remember it and, and sort of telling tales about how they had to warm up uh afterwards some people had to sort of make detours back to their parents' house because it was closer to home so they could warm up before they before they drove home and you know people uh hugging radiators and all that sort of stuff <laughs> it was absolutely horrendous Watford won the game i mean what's fascinating about it we we also tweeted Ian Grant's match report on it so do check it out it's on our on our twitter if uh, if you want to check it out but how, so the auto windscreen shield is what what's that now the the Johnston's paint trophy i think is papa john trophy these days yeah papa john's yeah we're getting through the sponsors there if, if anyone's listening send us a a, a windscreen <laughs> a pizza or a, a pot of paint yeah. interesting to see how watford put out a really strong side that night and you know the, the way ian describes it they're all literally dancing on ice and you just having been there you just wince at the thought of them sliding in for tackles um, because the, the floor was just, it was frozen. It was literally frozen. It was absolutely horrendous. There was another one as well, Scarborough away uh, in the FA Cup, which I think was a couple of years before that. I was at that one as well. So uh, I don't know if I'm sort of jumping Jack Frost or something. Um, 
but everywhere I go, I take the. Or maybe I'm what's her name? What's her name? Our frozen Elsa. Elsa. Arna and Elsa. Which was I was the sort Elsa? of ni- yeah. I was the nineties version of uh, of Elsa, perhaps. Yeah. Um, great voice, lovely long hair. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, I don't think it is the 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 legendary of coldest Watford games ever. Uh, I think the one in the UEFA Cup seems yeah. to be the, the the actual you know technically uh maybe the, the the scarborough and the talkie game were extra cold because not everyone was dressed properly but the the game at sparta prague mike minus 50 no <laughs> maybe close at least yeah mike mike vince who was who was there covering it for for watford tweeted us to tell us about how that was the coldest night of his professional career and uh, obviously he's he's seen some stuff in his time so for him to say that um yeah sums it up but you can imagine yeah Hertfordshire can be cold, as I've mentioned at, at Torquay. Uh, Scarborough can be cold at the best of times, but yeah, Prague on a on a Tuesday night. Of course, you can imagine, can't you? We must we must dig into that little trip at some stage on the podcast. It, yeah. uh, that sort of wet, whetted my uh, appetite to find out a little bit more about that um, about that European visit. But yeah, you can imagine it, can't you? Ch- Never mind a Tuesday night on Stoke. Can they do it on a Tuesday night, freezing Tuesday night in Prague? Uh, they could, of course. <laughs> uh, Kelly, you know, how's, how's things of you? We're trying to catch up with you. We, we keep seeing you on the television. Match today this weekend for the Manchester City um, Chelmsford game and then Old Trafford uh, for the Manchester United Liverpool game. Watford not being in the Premier League, I, I guess, you know, you're not going to get to cover Watford as much as you, you used to do. Uh, are we still talked about have we been forgotten about do you think up by the media outside of our little um, bubble i work f- <laughs> um i make sure we're not no um <laughs> I, I get to go to the odd game so final score the way it works is i that's obviously on every saturday and i'm in the studio every other saturday and then at a game every other saturday and uh, normally i was at fa cup qualifiers or i'm at fa cup games or premier league games but with the lack of 3 p.m premier league games where possible, they do send me to Watford if they can. So I went to, I've seen some classics. I saw the 0-0 at Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> um, I did go to Birmingham away when we won 1-0 with Troy's penalty. Um, and then I again, I saw Mike at um, the Huddersfield game a couple of weeks ago. That was the last game I did, and probably the last for the foreseeable. So I've been quite lucky, seen three games. Um, and the titles, you'll be pleased to know, I spotted, we have a show called Fan Zone on um, the Premier League's global TV channel that I work for. And in the titles, there is still a couple of Watford fans. I've spotted the logos in there. So we haven't been totally forgotten, but um, hopefully we'll be back next year to fully remind them what they're missing. Kel, in terms of you having to, because obviously you're, you're working and you don't get to, to follow the games on on Hive Live as, as often as the rest of us. So sort of trying to keep up with it and... Just how, what's your gut feeling been about Watford so far this season? Sort of having to to follow from a distance and picking picking up bits and bobs. How have you, as a supporter, felt felt about it? It's a funny old season, isn't it? But it's a funny old world, I guess, mm. which is mm. a big part of it. Do you know what? One thing I would say, and one I was really the only positive I took. You know, around the time we realised what we're going to get relegated, which was probably what September of the season we got relegated. But I still, the one perk is I don't work Tuesday nights, so I'll be able to go on Tuesday nights because I've still got my season ticket. I can just never go. Obviously, alas, no one can go now. Mm. And I'm fortunate that I've been to three games. But I'm actually finding it really lovely that one perk of being relegated is that we do have these midweeks to watch football we have more football to watch so if there was ever a season to get relegated maybe this was it because we can watch more of Watford and I'm fortunate enough that I do I don't work Tuesday or Wednesday nights I work in the daytime for the Premier League so I've really enjoyed being able to watch Watford more um the games are coming thick and fast it's very very different isn't it I felt like watching that 
pitch tonight and Millwall reminds us just just mm-hmm. how different yeah. it was and how kind of how we've fallen as such. But it's difficult. But for me, Watford, I've always been saying when I worked for FC Bournemouth, as some people know I did, it almost cemented me being a Watford fan even more because of the rivalry <laughs> ensued there. And I think during this pandemic, as it was for so many of the fans, regardless of whether I'm at Cheltenham, I'm at Manchester United or wherever I am. Watford is always what I'm doing. I'm, I've always still got my mum. I buy Hive Live every week, try and watch it. Even if I'm another game, I have been known to pop it on, but I, I don't do it very often because then I get distracted. But it's been a constant for me in this pandemic and it's been a constant for my mum and watching. Like me and my mum talk so much about Watford because she's not working and really helped me as it has for so many people during this time. I'm a massive Watford fan, always will be, no matter where I'm working, always listening out for our results, so... Yeah, it's, um, I'm very grateful to be a Watford fan, I think, during all of this. So, thank you very much for listening to this and uh, another midweek podcast. We'll be back with the next podcast uh, on Tuesday, which is weird because we normally do a podcast on the weekend, but Watford aren't playing until Monday night uh, at home to Queen's Park Rangers. Uh, so, we'll be doing a podcast after that. Do join us then. Make sure, if you haven't told your friends, why not tell us that where we are? We're at Watford Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, and on Facebook. And of course, you can find us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you are subscribed to The Athletic, of course, you get the ad free versions of the podcast. Uh, uh, and if you want to do that, go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Thank you very much, Kelly, for your time. Thanks for me back. Hopefully speak to you again soon, boys. Yes, definitely. Much more often, please. Uh, and thank you, Michael. Oh, you're more than welcome. Come on, you horns. Let's keep rolling. Yes, let's keep rocking and rolling this championship season. The Athletic. <laughs>